Can you get an outline? There is one waiting for you in the back. Well, it may not have your name on it, but you can sure put it on there. Those of you who picked it up early saw that we are picking up the book of Esther. We haven't done Esther in a, probably a long time. I, I really don't have any outline notes on it at all. But I'm sure that we probably have done some parts of it or here because I do have notes on the book of Esther. Of course, it could have just been from some time before. But at any rate, we are in the book of Esther. We'll be in here for a little while. We're going to cover two chapters here today. And at that rate, we won't be in here very very long, but that may not uh, continue at that pace for too long. A lot of, just a lot of history stuff here as we, we get this part going on. In verse 1 of the book of Esther, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his king, which was in Sushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his, glory, of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. Now that's a long time. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Sushan, the citadel, the, from great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And then, of course, it goes on to describe some of the things that were around there. But let's uh, focus in on this part. First off, the big question is always, who is Ahasuerus in history? Because none of the kings go by the name of Ahasuerus. So in trying to figure this out, who this guy was, there's uh, actually uh, three main, uh, three prominent guys who, who are uh, put up this way. But one thing we do know, just from this passage we just read here, is that no king prior to Darius can, uh, seems to fit. Darius is the soonest. Uh, first off, because of the limits given to the empire. When he gives the limits, the empire went from here to there, from India to, uh, where did it say? I uh, just lost my spot. There you go. For, the, for those two places, it was uh, just given those things. Darius, there couldn't have been anyone uh, sooner or prior to, to him. And the residence of the court being in Susa. This is something that Darius had done. He brought the capital there to, to Susa. And the capital, it, it kind of hit the court of the, of the king, kind of moved around. It spent most of the time in Susa. But it also spent time in Babylon and I believe one or two other places that it moved around to. But Darius is the one who made Susa part of the important cities here. So if we look at that, we'll first take a look at Darius. Was he the king that is spoken of here? Now he was not in the greatest position to give a large feast in his third year. He was in a struggle in his third year just to maintain power. He was... Uh, having a revolt in media. And Darius himself was in Babylon in the third year. It would be pretty tough for him to carry on this kind of a deal that went on for six months, then plus a seven-day feast when he spent as much time as he did over in Babylon. So we can pretty much rule out Darius as being the guy if we are to believe the biblical uh, uh, time period on this. How many of you believe what the Bible says? Amen. Yeah, I believe what the Bible says, so I'm going for that. <laughs> Then there's also the, the king uh, who, in Josephus' opinion, 
it was him. And this is at Artaxerxes Longimanus. He was given the name Artaxerxes in the Septuagint, and that's really why a lot of people like this this guy for for being this particular king here. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the reason he was that Josephus. How many of y'all know who Josephus? How many don't know who Josephus was? Josephus was the prominent Jewish historian during the, the uh, ancient times, and so a lot of what he does is a lot closer to the facts than what we're putting together now. So that's why a lot of folks uh, rely on what Josephus had said. However, Artaxerxes, from some of the things that are given in the, in the text of the passage that we haven't gotten into yet, kind of rule him out as being a possibility. Because first off, Haman uh, informed the king, Esther's king, who the Jews were. Doesn't he, doesn't he tell them who the Jews are? There's a certain people in your kingdom, the Jews. And he's informing them who he was. But Artaxerxes, according to the book of Ezra, again, how many people believe the Bible? <laughs> I just believe the Bible, what the Bible says. According to Ezra, Artaxerxes was very familiar with who the Jews were in his seventh year. Haman was trying to inform him who the Jews were in the twelfth year. Seventh comes before twelve. If you know who the Jews are in the seventh year, you're probably not going to forget them the to the twelfth year, to where you have to be completely informed as to who they are. And according to the, the genealogy given by Mordecai, uh, it pretty much ruled this king out as well, just from, just from that. So with those two eliminated, we're left pretty much with one. This is the king known as Xerxes. This is the son of Darius and the father of Artaxerxes. He is the king who went to war with Greece during the very famous battle of Thermopylae. This is the king who lost that battle, or won that battle, but lost a, a large number of men in the battle. Uh, the Hebrew and the Persian name for this king correspond letter for letter. They correspond letter for letter. So that's a one indication of it. In the third year of Xerxes, he held an assembly in Susa to arrange the war in Greece, which, which happened about uh, one or two years after the third year. They got everything together, and by the fifth year of his reign is when they had started that uh, particular battle over there in, in Greece. In the seventh year, after his defeat against the Greeks, he, was, he consoled himself with a great harem. <laughs> so it seems like his uh, timeline really lines up with the book of Esther. Because in the third year is when we have the big gathering in Susa in which uh, Queen Vesti is reprimanded. And in the seventh year is when we have the great calling of virgins to have the harem and where Esther is picked. So this was the particular king. Now, my Persian history is not as good as my Greek and Roman history. For the most uh, meaningful reason is because I really like Greek and Roman history and I despise Persian history. There was just nothing about the Persians I liked. I just, it just was, it was a horrible kingdom uh, as far as I was concerned. They just, they did stuff, what I could, they just did stuff wrong. I didn't like the way they did it. I didn't like the way they handled people. I didn't like the way uh, some of the divisions that were in there. Uh, I didn't like their, their viewpoint of things. Their, uh, they just were, they're very weird to me. <clears throat> and the ancient Persians. I don't, if you know modern day Persians, I'm not relating the ancient Persians to the modern Persians. I'm talking about how they did things. I cannot relate to it. So I didn't really like to study it. 
But I did study enough to, you know, get some things done in the book of Daniel and stuff like that. But they're just a, they were a weird group of people. And this particular king, he just needs to be replaced. There just needs to be somebody else beside him. He was brutal. He was, I mean, you look, read in that story, you just don't find his brutality. The, the Greeks wrote about this guy in such a way that he was manhandled by his wives. That they pretty much ran the show. Which is really unusual for Persian kings, but that's, uh, that was their viewpoint of it. And also, well, we'll get into this here in a, in a minute. We come to Queen Vashti, the only wife of Xerxes known to the Greeks was Amestris, who was the daughter of Otanus. She was one of the conspirators that got his father into the, into the throne. She is not viewed very highly by Greek historians. They really don't like her. They don't put a lot of great swelling compliments about her character, about her person. They really have her down as pretty nasty and pretty vicious. So, you know, you may look in there, as you read the book of Esther, you get a kind of a soft spot, oh, poor Queen Vashti, she did the right thing. And yeah, maybe that's so that she did the right thing here. But other than that, it seems from the little bit that we have of her in history, she was not the kind of person you'd really want to have her running with or that you'd really want to pile around with. Just didn't seem to be, you know, if we're to believe the Greek historians, of course, the Greeks don't necessarily like the Persians. And so you do have to take that into consideration. <laughs> But uh, they're the ones, we don't have, I guess, a whole lot of the Persian history. We have the Greek history. And so that's why they're going probably by that. She made a feast for the women. As we're, Well, let's continue to read on down here. We're going to see she made a feast for the women here. And there's a reason for that. Now we have all the stuff with the blue court curtains and the cords and the fine linen and the purple and the silver and the marble and the couches and the gold and the silver and all the stuff that's all in the, in the place. And really, to tell you the truth, I don't care. I don't know about you. But uh, have you ever seen uh, ancient Persian decor? Yeah, it repulses me. I just don't like it. And so even though it's the Bible and it's trying to give us a picture of what their architecture and what their things look like on the inside, I don't want to picture it. You know, you have those uh, movies of ancient Persia and some of the... And it's just, it's weird. I don't like it. And I'm pretty sure that God doesn't either. That's just my opinion. (laughs) I just don't think that God does either. Of course, the Persians weren't all that nice to the, uh, at least a lot of the kings were. We do have one that was, but the Persians were not all that nice to the Israelites. And so I'm pretty sure that God doesn't hold a whole lot for their architecture because of that. But who knows? Get up there and find out differently. So anyway, verse 8, in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. Isn't that good? (laughs) I mean, isn't that nice? That the drinking is not compulsory. You don't have to drink. We're not going to make you. I just think that's really nice about these guys, that they just didn't make you have to drink when you came in there. That just seems weird. It just seems really odd. But again, we're dealing with a very odd group of people. So in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. Isn't it good you have a law about that too? I mean, just have a law, a law written in there, in the law of the Persians, you do not have to drink. Mm. For so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. So if they didn't want to drink, they didn't have to drink. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to the king. Uh, Naturally, didn't belong to her. Now there's a reason for this. Ancient Persians, it was not good that men and women eat together. You had the men 
over here and you had the women over here. It's one exception and that was the exception of family. If you were alone with your family, it was perfectly okay to have the men and the women eat together. Isn't that nice? The whole family can eat together. But if you're in a public place, uh, no, men over here, women over here. So that's the, uh, that's the setting there. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't, again, I don't study Persian history all that much. I'm not sure, you know, were women allowed in there to serve the men? I'm sort of thinking they probably were, <laughs> but they were not allowed to dine with them. They did not have the greatest view of women in the Persian Empire. That should not surprise you because not too many people did in that day. The Greeks did. The Greeks had women of a much higher uh, place than, than the uh, Persians did. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. <laughs> in other words, he was drunk. That's right. He was drunk. Well, we have a seven-day feast. <laughs> a seven-day feast, and we are eating and drinking, though you don't have to drink. Apparently... The king wanted to. <laughs> and so he was merry with wine. And so he's over there drinking and having a good time. Now, here's the setting here. We've got a six-month period where he's basically showing off. And if we understand history, and this being Xerxes, the reason he's showing off is he's trying to get everybody together to go after the Greeks. Because the Greeks were their up-and-coming empire. They were the rising power. And they wanted to do something to subdue that so that they didn't have a problem with them. And saw them as a potential problem. Let's go over there and, and take care of that. So he's trying to rally all the people together. That's all going over there. And let's take care of the Greeks. And so he's showing off for six months. Now understand the people, the same people are not there for six months. It's probably a different group of people coming in each time. And he's showing them the same type of, type of stuff. Uh, it doesn't take him six months to show off all his, his stuff. He's probably taking them a week and then a new crew of people come in. Because or he's bringing in governors, satraps and stuff like that. These, all have, these guys have jobs. I don't know if the king has a job. But they do. They have a job. So they have to get there and they have to, to, to work on it. So we're rotating them in. But at the end of it, we have a seven-day feast. And I would assume that as many as possible, or at least the majority of all those people who had come over the six-month period, were now coming out for this feast. So we got this huge, massive feast, which was not uncommon for Persian folks to have these huge, massive feasts of, in the tens of thousands. I heard one estimate had put this, this particular feast at 15,000 people. That is a lot of people, but of course it may have been an exaggerated figure. It was also put into in parentheses because um, well, I don't, we just don't know how many people, but understand that there's a, a lot of people in there. So we got all these, all these folks. Now, however many that there were, if there's 1,000, if there's 5,000, if there's 10,000, if there's 15,000, how many of them are men? <laughs> they're all men. <laughs> Unless you know, let the, let some of the women come in and serve, they're all men. So this is the group. <laughs> you got 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 drunk men. <laughs> How many of you want to be there? <laughs> and they've been drinking for seven days. They've been doing nothing but eating and drinking for seven days. I'm sure that this is just a, 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 such an upstanding group of people here to start off with. <laughs> I mean, they're nasty folks when they aren't drunk. So on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahoman, Bisra, Harbana, Bigtha, who cares? <laughs> the eunuchs who served the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king. 
wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials. Now, I've heard some people have supposed, and I don't know that this to be factually true, but some people have supposed that he commanded her to show up in just her royal crown. <laughs> Again, I don't know that that's factually true. I have heard it in a number of different places that her, the request was not to show up just you know dressed and then with the royal crown, but just the royal crown. Now, if you were the queen, would you want to show up with the royal crown or without the royal crown, with clothes or without clothes, in front of 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 drunk men? How many of you women want to be in that group right there? <laughs> this, is, this is not good. And how many of you would want your husband to summon you into a group like that? For the sole purpose of standing in front of these men to show off how beautiful you are. So we really got to get the idea of what the setting is like here. Now, if we believe history, Queen Vashti is not the nicest of people. Apparently, you know, she's a trophy wife. There you go. <laughs> How many of y'all know when you're going through high school, some of the better looking people were also nasty, mean, because they just used to getting stuff their way or spoiled or whatever it was. They just, they were not always the nicest people. Not saying that everybody who was pretty or handsome was, was mean. But it just seemed like that happened an awful lot, didn't it? <laughs> but so anyway, Queen Vashti is summoned to come wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to all the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was fur furious and his anger burned within him. So now you've got a drunk, angry man. <laughs> this is not good, is it? How many of you have been around drunk, angry men? I have not been around too many, but I do know what they're capable of. Mm. So we got one drunk, angry man who's met at his wife around with 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, however many of his buddies. And what do you think they're saying? <laughs> hey, go get her. Don't you put up with that. <laughs> You're not, you're not going to take that offer, are you? Now, understand the purpose of this, of this feast here and this whole thing was to arrange people for war. If the king backs down to his wife in the presence of all these guys saying how tough we are, we're going to go take on the Greeks, how do you think that would be? <laughs> so the pressure is on the king to do something whether he wants to or not. But he is angry and he is drunk. So I am going to assume that he probably does want to at this point. I don't think he has to be talked into it. I think, he, I think he's desirous of this. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by the eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him, in him. Now, here's to the king's credit. We do have to say something at least good about the king. Again, every movie I've ever seen Xerxes in, I've despised the character that, that played Xerxes. I just <clears throat> don't, just don't like it. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew the law and justice, those closest to him being, and again, we have all these really fun names that you're not going to care about after today. <laughs> the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. But look who he comes to, to the wise men who understood the times. To the wise men who understood the times. This is an exact attitude that we still face today. People try to make decisions 
based on understanding the times. And we always are trying to adjust truth for what we face in the times. And so we come to people that we consider to be wise. How do we handle this situation understanding the times? What should we do? Now, I'll give you a couple of case and points in this. You know, if I, and I'm not buying for it, and certainly I'm not qualified to be, but just say that I was president. One of the first things I would do, I've, I've thought about this often, one of the first things I would do when I would ever take office is I would show up at the UN and I would issue them eviction papers. I would kick them boys out and I would say, you have until the end of the month to find a new home. We will not support you. We will not give you any more money and we will not allow you on our soil anymore. By the end of the month, you must be out. I don't care where you go, but you will go. And we will not be part of wherever you go. That would be the first thing I would do. I would make sure that we are severed from the UN. We are out of there. But we are trying to understand the times. And so the things that presidents have done, current one, previous ones, and so forth, we're always trying to make nice with the people in the UN. Which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. These are not nice people. These are mean, horrible rulers who do things in their country that we do not tolerate in ours. And yet we're trying to make nice. And so we need to understand how do we handle this situation when we know the people that make up the UN. I say, you know, just, just go in there and say, you know what, y'all do what you want. We got the money, we got the troops, we got the people, we got the support, we got the know-how. Without us, you're nothing. So go on out there. Give it your best shot. But you're coming against us. I just go in there and tell them. Whatever you do, if we don't like it, we're going to come against you. That's it. And we're not giving you any more money. You're going to spend your own money. And you're going to send your own boys in there to fight. Because we're not sending our men anymore. And be done. That's it. I get so tired of our guys and gals, I mean men and women, being sent over to fight UN battles and are all told you can't shoot, you can't do this, and you can't... It's like ridiculous. <laughs> get in there and if they shoot at you, you shoot back. That's all that we need. I even say if they look like they want to shoot at you. <laughs> Take them out. I, if they hide in schools, if they hide in people's houses, Take them out. I get tired of all this stuff. That, that, that We're not the ones hiding in the schoolhouses. We're not the one hiding in the churches. And we're not the one hiding behind women and children. Our guys are out there. So I, that's, that's my opinion. That's how I would do it. That's the first thing I would do is I'd take the UN out. We, just, we, we would not be involved in the UN anymore. But we're out there always trying to uh, let's understand the times. Well, you know, we got to have this going on and we got to have this going on and we got to make nice over here. And, and well, you know, we need the oil from the Mideast and we need oil from Venezuela. So we need to be nice to them, even though those people don't always like us all that much. You know what I say? Cut off ties with Venezuela. Cut off ties with the Middle East. Just cut off the ties. And... Let's just start drilling ourselves. Do you know that we this year have given money to countries to drill for oil even though we won't drill for ourselves? <laughs> We've given money to Venezuela for them to drill, drill oil even though they don't like us. And there's a few other countries out there. We've given them... Brazil, I think, was one. I think Brazil was one. There's a couple of... We're giving them money to drill but we won't even allow our cor corporations here to drill here. 
if we just drilled here and if we just drilled into places that we could, we wouldn't need anybody's oil. We would be fine. And we could cut off ties to all these things and say, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Go after it. Whatever you want to do. We're okay. We just don't need to be doing all that. We just complicate things and make it so much harder. Because we're trying to understand the times. You can never make decisions understanding the times. You must understand what does the Word say. Because what the Bible said to do in the Old Testament still works in the New Testament. What the Word of God said to do in Jesus' day, it still works to do it today. It doesn't make any difference. Do what the Word of God has said to do. They teach all the time. If your kids are in public school, you make sure you talk to them all the time because they're always trying to get the situational ethics in on them. That ethics change with the situation. No, they don't. Ethics don't change with the situation. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. That's how it is. Well, no, well, what if the... Don't matter. So we got these wise men who understood the times and we're going to find out what should we do. Let's see what these wise men have to say. And Mamukin answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. Uh -huh. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus uh, commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before the king Ahasuerus and let the king... Give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. <laughs> In other words, you either do what we say. <laughs> isn't, this, isn't this just a great time to live? Mm. Now understand, this isn't just back in these days. We've got nations in this time frame that treat women in the same way. It's horrible stuff. And we got to make sure that uh, that doesn't happen. There's a lot of uh, uh, things going on about uh, Sharia law. You all are familiar with Sharia law. Do you know that Oklahoma apparently just put out a, uh, a uh, amendment to their state constitution or the state uh, ordinance somehow to, to make sure that the laws or the courts do not honor Sharia law in any case? Anybody not know what Sharia law? That's the Muslim law? And it basically is a law about women. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's... It, they don't follow it. Well, no, Sharia law governs just about every Muslim state that's out there. Sharia law is part of it. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very oppressive to women. Uh, this is stuff that, you know, women have to go around covered. And women can't do this. And women can't do that. And women can't do this. And if a woman is raped, then you must have four witnesses, I think it is in order to, to sustain that you were, you were raped because otherwise if you bring the accusation and you don't have four witnesses and you don't have this, that, and the other thing, then you're going to be put to death. Or you'll be, I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's, and they're, they're working to try and get it into this country. They're working to try and get it into Europe. They're having a pretty good amount of success there. 
and, uh, and other countries. But they come, the, the Muslims, they'll come on in and they start getting the Sharia law to be honored. Right now, they're just trying to get the Sharia law to be honored in this country. Just, you know, just for us. And I hope you all know that there was Sharia law language put into the health care bill. It is a language that is unique to the Muslims, to Sharia law. And it actually excludes the Muslims and one other group of people, I forget the other group of people is, from everything that is written in the law. So if you're Muslim, uh, you don't have to have health insurance. You won't be required. You want to pay a fine. There's actually wording in there, and the wording you do not find anywhere else but in the, the Muslim Sharia law, in the Muslim uh, uh, wording. It's a really weird word. Anybody ever see, did anybody see any of the documentation on that? I'll find with that word. I mean, it is a, you don't, I've never even saw this word before. And apparently that's what this, this word is. And I actually got into our health care bill, was, was put right in there so that they have uh, that distinction. But it's a very abusive law. And I'm right behind Oklahoma. If they want to put that on through, hope some other states come in and do that as well. You know, and this, is, this is the United States. The United States, we have our laws that govern our country. If you like Sharia law, great. Go over to one of those countries that has Sharia law. If you'd like to speak Spanish, great. Go over to one of those countries that speak Spanish. Over here, we speak English. You don't want to learn English? You may always compare them to the immigrants that came before, but the immigrants came before, what did they do? They learned English. Yeah. I mean, they may spoke German and English, but they spoke English. And they learned it. They may have an accent, but they still learned it. They tried to learn the language. They tried to learn what the country was about. There are oppressive, there are countries around this country that are very oppressive and abusive to women. And we are trying to do everything we can to make nice with them. Which is just ridiculous. We shouldn't be doing it. You need to just, you know, right is right. Doesn't matter what the times are. This is, this is the way that it is. So we got these wise people. And they say, well, you know, what she did is going to hurt everybody. She's come against the whole group of them. She's come against every man in this place. And the other women, they're all going to be rising up. They're going to hear what she did and she's going to lead a rebellion. And they're all, and they're all looking at Queen Vashti's, what she, her response. There is not one examination of the king's request. There's not one examination to see, was the request legal? Was the request right? Should the request have been made? Because I'm, I'm told from some of the folks who are more familiar with Persian uh, stuff, that I don't want to be familiar with. And they say if Queen Vashti had actually complied with this and gone through with it, her status as queen would have been uh, moved down quite a few notches. She probably would have had no influence in the kingdom uh, after that if she had complied and gone along with this. And, uh, and the king should never have asked it. And the proper response would be once the king had sobered up to have said, you know what? I should never have asked that. I was drunk at the time and I shouldn't have done it. And she was right for not doing it. She honored being a queen. And I appreciate that she did that because I was not acting like a king. And that would have taken care of it right there. But no, we got these guys with full pride. You've got to be right. If I did it, it was right. <laughs> no, it's not. Just because you did it didn't make it right. We, you know, Just about anybody is capable of doing something wrong. And you just need to get back there and just uh, fess up to it. Well, I, I did something that was wrong there. And I shouldn't have done it. But instead, they, yeah, this is good. This is, this is great. And you know, appealed to his pride and such. So the reply pleased the king and the princes and the king did according to the word. Uh, Memukin, 
Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in his own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. <laughs> now understand, it was an empire that had a lot of languages, so whatever language was in your providence, whatever language was in your nation that it was conquered, that's fine, you speak in that language, and your house speaks in that language, and your wife does what you said. So now we got a decree all the way on through. And so what do you, if you're a wife in this, in this Persian province or Persian empire, what's that make you? Make you a little nervous? I mean, you're already in a society that dominates women, that uh, is somewhat abusive in that way, and now they were just given a letter saying, you can do whatever you want, and she better comply with it. How many of you think God is happy about that? Now, see, I, everything I've ever seen about the Persian Empire, even including the Babylonian Empire, there's not a whole lot in there that God was really respectful of. They didn't bring God into, the, into all those things. They brought a lot of mysticism. They brought a lot of uh, idolatry and stuff like that. And, and when you get into that kind of stuff, this is the kind of thing that, that comes up. You have one group of people, men in this case over women, but you always get one group over here who is superior and they're going to rule over this other group and they're going to abuse and they're going to do whatever they want to. So that's the setting. Now, we just got finished here, chapter 1. This is the setting that brings Queen Esther as a possibility. How many can see God's hand in chapter 1? <laughs> no. No. God's hand is not in chapter 1. God's hand is not in the king getting drunk and making this decree. God's hand is not in the queen saying no. God's hand is not in the wise men coming up with this great bit of wisdom. And God's hand is not in the king following it and banishing, well, he didn't write banish her, but taking her position from her. She apparently still stuck around. And from what I could tell in history, she still had influence. Even though this role was taken from her, she still was around there. She wasn't killed. And she still seemed to have influence. As far as I could tell. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. After these things, when the wrath of the king Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servant who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shusha and the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the, the king be queen instead of Ashti. How many can see God's hand in this? Does this sound like God? I'll bet you God's up there with Michael and Gabriel and they're having a little powwow. Hey, this is great. Who do we got on our team we can put in? Do you see God's hand in this? In the decree? I don't see God's hand in it. This is against God. This is not what God wants to happen to, to the women that he creates. This is not the, not the thing that goes on. Now, how much time went between chapter 1 and chapter 2? It doesn't say, does it? But we have a pretty good idea. The War of the Greeks. <laughs> because he was gathering all these folks for war and then he went out to battle. Out in the battle, he's not thinking about Vashti a whole lot. He's thinking, we've got to win this thing. And he's, you know, Thermopylae was not easy. He may have won there, but he lost a lot of people. Boy, I was cheering for them Greeks. They're getting there. And then they went on to some other, other places in there. And, uh, and they, they conquered Athens and they really put the, the Spartans back and they... Um, uh, the Athenians, I think, they had them back on the ropes, uh, but then they had a, a, another battle that they, they lost. 
and that pretty much settled it. And they, I can't think of what the other battle was that they, they had lost. But after that, that kind of settled it and uh, they pretty much had lost that battle. And he's kind of down. And so he comes on back. And so it was after all that, all that war and all that battling. So somewhere around or you know, somewhat before the seventh year, he comes on back and he starts thinking about Vashti. Oh, it was so nice, you know, having Vashti around. She was a, such a beautiful queen. And, and I know I got real mad at her, but mm, he's upset. So here's what we're going to do. Can you see God's hand in this? We're going to go through all the, the kingdom of Persia, all the lands that you have conquered. We're going, to carry, you know, we're going to have people from all kinds of nationalities. We're going to get the best-looking young girls from each of these nations that you've conquered, from every province, from every place, and we're going to bring the best of them all over here, and then look what they're going to do. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. In Sushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, and the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem, and the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Now, king of Babylon carried away, but the Persians just kind of usurped the kingdom when they came on in, you know, in the nighttime and, and uh, rounded things up and Babylon fell in one night. And so the Jews that were there, that were prisoners, became the Persian prisoners. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai uh, took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard, and when many young women were gathered at Sushan the citadel under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace in the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. So here you are, Mordecai. You've got charge of Esther. Beautiful young girl. Her parents had died. And you have been given charge of this girl. You've been taking care of her, you know, watching out for her, looking for, you know, eventually you have to find a husband for her and, and so forth. And here comes the opportunity. The king is looking for a harem. And what do you say? Right here. I got one. Oh, look at this. She's real pretty. I don't know about you, but I don't think real highly of Mordecai for doing this. He was given to, her parents died. And you're going to take this girl and put her into a harem. Because once you go into the harem, that's it. You don't come out. You don't go, well, that didn't work out. <laughs> that's it. You're in the harem. That's your life. And as the story goes on, you find out how not great life it is. Why does he do this? I'm sure he was moved by the hand of God. I'm sure that God came down to Mordecai and said, we need Esther on the inside. We got a big problem coming up, and the only way, the only way I can stop this is if I have somebody on the inside. Mordecai, you gotta help me out on this. You know, this is God, I need your help. Can you imagine God saying that? Can you imagine God being put in such a pickle that the only way he can save his people is to give in to the raunchy desires of a king? I don't see that this is that this is the hand of God. I don't see that God's hand is saying, well, you know, there's, this is the only way I can do it. Now understand, Esther doesn't have a whole lot of choice here. First off, they're prisoners in Persia. And they're part of the, part of the captives. And I guess, you know, they really don't have places to go. I, I guess they probably have, they don't know who she, who she is. So they uh, probably, she probably has some freedom to go around. They don't, 
necessarily segregate the Jews and, and say anything about that with them, but he's under Mordecai. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go be a part of the harem. How many of you, if you were Esther, said, oh, I, oh, I just, I've had this dream last night and I was hoping that you'd give me the opportunity to be part of the king's harem. Oh, I'm so excited. Anybody be excited? If you were, one, if you were Esther, young woman, would you be excited about this opportunity? Now, they didn't have beauty pageants. They didn't have Miss America pageants. They didn't have Miss Universe pageants. They didn't have what other ones they have out there. I don't know whatever the ones they've got anymore. I know they used to put them on TV. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But yeah, Mr. Persia, <laughs> that's basically what it's going to be. But you all know now. You know, a lot of you ladies that are out here knows what happens when you get a lot of women together. <clears throat> when you get a lot of women together who are competing to be the most beautiful. So you can get an idea of what the setting is like in here. The stakes are not winning the contest. The stakes are becoming queen. And if you don't become queen, you are basically relegated to not much. So anyway, so it was when the king's command and decree was heard that many young women were gathered in Sushan the Citadel under the custody of... We already went through all that. Now, where do you leave off at? Uh, nine. Now, now the young woman pleased him and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. So she got favor and he, he was slipping her extra stuff. All right. Now, what's the competition like with the women in the room? You got them all in one house. Big, big house. One big, big house. Put all the women, most beautiful from all over, all in the one place. You're all competing for one thing. And we're going to go through the preparations. And they tell you what the preparation process is. And, and one particular girl is favored and gets extra stuff. And they go, how did you get two of those? Oh, he, he, I don't know. I guess he likes me. Somebody else comes in the next. Wait a minute. You just he just gave you those. He only gave me two of those. He gave you five. And I'm sure you know how word can spread in a house of women when there's one favorite who's getting all the extra stuff. So what happens to the one favorite as far as the other women are concerned? And you got a whole lot of different nationalities going on in there. So it's not like there's you know they feel any camaraderie. And she's not even letting on that she's a Jew. So if there were Jewish people that were put in, put in there, they don't know that she's a Jew. No one else really knows where she's from. And she's not telling anybody. So she's got no camaraderie from anybody. She is on her own. And now you got this house full of women. One's being favored. And we don't know much about her. Because you know that once you start being singled out, what do you know about her? Where's she from? Who's her parents? We're not finding out any of this stuff, sort of stuff. So what happens with Esther? You know, she's probably getting sabotaged in the nighttime. You know, stuff being put into her bed. You know, snakes and stuff. You're just making it unpleasant. So maybe she'll just leave and, and, and go away. <laughs> just on a, it, this, this is not an easy time for Esther. Because once you've been put out, you're just thinking, oh, she had favor. Oh, look at that. She has the guys helping her out. Every, all the women are probably helping her out. You know, making sure, because she's the favorite. We want to make sure that she... No, the other women are not helping her out. The other women are trying to sabotage her. Yeah. Get her out. Because obviously, she's the competition. We need to take her out. Can't have this kind of stuff going on. She's in our way. She might just get picked. Anybody like this environment? 
And Mordecai, I put you in it. What do you think about Mordecai right now? I mean, if you're thinking about this at nighttime, this is the guy who's been taking care of you. He's not your parents. He's doing it for them. Hmm. So, let's go on. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace. Dear Lord. Oh, dear Lord. We didn't do that, did we? Not only were we getting extra stuff, extra hair gel, extra shampoo, extra bath soap, extra bubble bath, all that sort of stuff. Now we have seven maids. Seven maids. Now, think about this, ladies. Your only job is to get beautiful. That's it. You have no other job. You are not washing dishes. You are not taking out the trash. You are not taking care of kids. You are not hauling wood. You are not cleaning up after yourself. You are not doing the laundry. You have no other job than to become the most beautiful woman you can be. <laughs> this, is all you, this is the only job you have. So, now... This is, this is it. This is your only job. And now you have seven maids to help you out with that chore. <laughs> now, if the other girls thought poorly of her before, now she got seven. Everywhere she goes, she got seven girls following her. Mm. Well, 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 well. Seven choice maidservants were provided for her for the king's, from the king's palace. <laughs> from the not just seven women, seven women from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants <laughs> to the best place in the house <laughs> of the the best place in the house of the women. So she has the penthouse suite. She has seven maids, and she has extra stuff. <laughs> There's no downside until you have to interact with the other women. Hmm. Yeah, you got. <laughs> now Esther had not revealed her people or family for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Don't you tell anybody where you came from. They're not going to like that. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's court, quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. <laughs> Pacing back and forth. What's he con is he concerned about her well-being? What's he concerned about? How far up is she? Is she moving up? Is she doing okay? What are we thinking about here? You know, is she the favorite? You know, if she gets in, I'll be taken care of. Let's be good. Each young woman's turn came to go to the king Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months of preparation. According to the regulations for the women. They have regulations for this. For thus were the days of their preparations apportioned. Six months with oil of myrrh. Six months of it. Six months. That's all you got to do. Soak. And six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. That's it. A six-month spa. Six-month spa. And six months in oil and myrrh to get ready for it. Now, this is a hard life. This is tough living, I know. So thus prepared, each young woman went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. Whatever she wanted. So, you know, and, and this is a clue to tire. I'm sure that they had a certain attire that they put their women in. Whatever stuff they had. In the evening she went and in the morning she returned. 
Now, they're auditioning for the, the queen spot. How do you audition for the queen spot when you go in in the evening and come out in the morning? Don't you see the hand of God in this? Here's God's beautiful young child being prepared for 12 months to go in and do these kind of things for the king. After someone else was here the night before and someone else was here the night before and someone else was here the night before. Can't you see the hand of God in this? I mean, just Isn't this what God would pick out for one of his daughters? Mm. And Mordecai, I chose this for her. He knew what it was. Then, uh, in the evening she went in and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women. So she went from the house she was in to the second house. In other words... This is the new car lot. This is the used car lot. That's basically what it is. All right. We got your, your, in the first house, the virgins. In the second house. All right. We're just getting the picture here. This is what it's telling us is happening. Once she went to the second house, she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called her by name. So he'd have to remember who she was and her name. Remember that, remember that gal was here about a month ago? What was her name? I can't remember her name. I don't know her name. King, I need to know her name. You tell me her name, I'll go get her. Now, if you know that's the requirement, then what are you doing as a woman when you left in the morning? Now, here's my name. <laughs> but you don't see the king again unless the king calls you. That's it. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle... Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised. So in other words, she went to this guy. He's got, she got favor with him. And he says, you can take anything you want there in the king. And she says, well, you know, I really don't know the king that well, but you do. What would the king like me to bring? And he says, well, he, you should do this and this and this. Nothing more. That's it. That's all you Right there, stuff right here. Bring that. And so that's all she did. She brought in what the, king, what the guy said. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now, I'm sure that this is, you know, as far as the, the men who saw her. Because we probably have a pretty good understanding that the women in the woman's house, there's no favor there. I don't think there's any favor there. I think they're seeing the, the cards getting stacked and they're not liking it. And beside that, their opinions don't count anyway. They can't do nothing. So in the sight of all who saw her, this is the... This is the guys. In other words, she's turning some heads. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tabeth in the 7th year of his reign. Now, this is the eunuch of the king who is given charge of the harem. Do, we, do you have the idea that the king sees him often? I mean, if you had a guy in charge of all your women... Would you be seeing him often? <laughs> Probably. So you got to know this guy likes Esther. And so he says, now look, don't you do nothing rash. I'm going to be bringing a whole lot of women in here to you. But I've got one. Did you, don't you decide until you see her. Because when you see her, you may forget everybody else. And the king says, is she coming yet? No, no, we're, we're still working her. We're still working on her. She'll be here soon. We have some other ones we're bringing. Okay, all right. And so he knows the whole time, he, I'm not making a decision yet because I have to wait. He's, he's got somebody in mind for me. Yeah. 
And He's never led me wrong before. He's always told me. And so He's waiting. He's not making any decision until He sees this one. And so you got to know that the, the time coming. King, next, next week, we're almost ready. It's next week. You're getting close. It'll be Tuesday. Whatever day. It'll be Tuesday. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set a royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Now, the, to me, the reason he does, he jumps to this and he goes right to making her queen is because the eunuch, his main guy, said, I got somebody for you. She's not coming yet. You won't make any decision until you see her. And then after the night was done, he probably came in. What did you think? She was the best. I mean, I have some other ones out there, but they're not as good as this. This is the best. She's it. I mean, I got some nines out there, but this is a ten and a half right here. This is the one you want to... You got to know that this is what they're doing. <laughs> and the king said, wow, I mean, yeah, I, I like her. She's good. She'll work. So he put the crown on her head. I mean, we're not going any further. That's it. Now, you got to know, if you're one of the women still in the house and Esther's up and you're on deck, <laughs> you, you know, bottom of the ninth, two outs. <laughs> and you're on deck. <laughs> this is it. I mean, it, it, the game might be over before you even get a chance to get up. You don't, you don't know. <laughs> then the king made a great feast, the Feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. He's a, he's a happy guy. Now, how many of y'all think, well, that's it? Esther's it. She's the queen. Mm. Verse 19. When virgins were gathered together a, a second time. All right, that was the first time. Esther was in the first time. Now, apparently, we have a second time. Now, understand, from the first time, he had all the women who went before Esther and they're in the second house. And he can call them by name and they come. And he's got Esther plus all the women he had before that. And then the ones that were put into the first house, they don't get released into the public again. They're there. But now we're going to gather them a second time. So you're Queen Esther. And here's your husband. He's got one house over here of women. He's got another house over here of women. And now we're going to go over and gather some more. How many of you are liking this arrangement? But I'm queen. But I'm queen. I wear the crown. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this the life you think God had for Esther? When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, who told who? Queen. She is queen. When the second group is called, she is queen. If you were queen, would you have something to say about the second group being called? But apparently, it doesn't matter. Because you may be queen, but he is the king. Remember, when Queen Vashti was there, whose house did she live in? The king's house. Wasn't her house, it was his house. And Esther informed the king of Mordecai's name. 
And when inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed and both were hanged in the gallows and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Queen Esther gets to come before the king and say, hey, there's a couple of guys over here. Weren't you dead? Plotting against you. Mordecai, he's the guy who found out about it. So they found out it was true and, and there it was. So she's queen. So here's the, here's the setting. Here's what we got. We got a, as far as we know anyway, a God-fearing, I mean, God is never mentioned in this book. He's just kind of left out. I mean, kind of implied in some areas, but we're just not really into the mention like some of the other places are. Queen Vashti is out. Queen Esther is in. She's in a, basically a harem, but she is the, the top woman. She's the queen. She wears the crown. She found favor with everyone that she was around. And she gets into this situation with a king so immoral that he has houses of women all over. And this is not a very moral society. And this is not a real nice king. Like I told you, all the stuff I ever saw in this guy, he's nasty. He, of course, all of them were Persian kings. I don't think any of them were real, real great. There, uh, what was the, the guy who came after here seemed to have a soft spot with Israel and seemed at times to have some, some good things going on, but they were something. So here we have this book. And of course, we hold this book up, you know, oh, such a great thing God did. And God put Queen Esther in a position so that just at the time that God needed her, she was there. I do not serve a God small enough or so small that he has to take this poor young girl, put her into this situation, compromise all the things he ever written he had ever written about as far as morality was concerned, just so that he could get his Israel saved. That's not the God that I serve. But apparently, somebody decided to do it this way. Who decided that she needed to be involved? Mordecai. Mordecai. He's the guy who decided. Esther didn't decide, did she? No. Wasn't hers. Do we have anything in here about God decided? No. Now, God used it. Did God decide to give Israel a king? No. Did God use the fact that Israel had a king? Yes, he did, didn't he? There are other situations that we find in, in there. And, and God didn't decide. But since it was there, God used it. He went ahead and, and, and went on with that. Did God give the Romans the idea of crucifixion? But did God use it? God used it, didn't he? Yeah. God uses a lot of things, but it doesn't mean it was God's idea or that it was God's plan. Too often we look at the book of Esther and we decide because God used it for such great things, it must have been God's plan from the beginning. And if you're not careful, that mentality will get you to look at some of the things that are going on in your very own life. And you'll think, because it worked out for good, it must have been God. Because something good came out of it, this must have been what God wanted. And I tell you what, folks, God may use what is in your life. God may use what happens in your life. But it doesn't mean God wanted it. We serve a God who is far greater than to have to take this poor young girl and put her into this situation was such an immoral man to do things that were against what she was brought up to do as a Jewish girl and to compromise all those things because, well, you just don't know. At the time, 
I mean, Mordecai is the guy who's pushing for this. Does Mordecai know that Haman is going to have a, a plot against the Jews? He has no idea. So what is Mordecai's motivation? It's not Esther's well-being, and it's not his country's well-being. It is Mordecai's, Mordecai's well-being. He overhears the conversation, and he turns them in, not because he's concerned about the king, because it is, it is written in there that Esther very specifically mentions Mordecai's name. Why do you think she does? Because Mordecai told her to. The reason she didn't reveal that she was a Jewish girl was because Mordecai said don't do it. The reason that she revealed Mordecai's name was because he told her. Now you give him this information. You tell him that I told him. And it's Mordecai. It's spelled with an A-I on the end. Remember. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, out of this story, I feel sorry for Esther. Esther is kind of just being, she's a, a, someone who's just kind of being pushed around and put into places that she didn't need to be in. And God looked out for her. Wherever she was at, God looked out for her. And she had the favor of God because I think my opinion of Esther is that she was God-fearing and that she did whatever she, she was, was upstanding. But she was under Mordecai's instruction then put into the, the thing with the king. And then once he, once he put her into that stream, once he put her into that, that place, she didn't have any choice. It wasn't like she uh, should be given a whole lot of things to do. And she just went along because the one who was given authority over her. No, this is what you need to do. Now, we know that later on in the book, Mordecai is going to throw this at her. You don't know that you were put in such a position but for this time. And don't think you're going to be safe up there. And Mordecai's motivation is self-preservation. That's all. I, when I go through this book, I think less of Mordecai, but I still think the world of Esther. I still think the world of her. But uh, don't don't put Mordecai, Mordecai up on any kind of high pedestal because I don't think he deserves to be up on one. I don't see the guy doing anything else but what works out for Mordecai. And we just want to give you the picture, you know, some, some graphic picture of, of what all this is about. But you got to understand, this is the thing she was put into by Mordecai. How much love can he have for this girl to willingly put her into this? I think any father on the face of the earth would be hiding their daughters. And when the guys come to knock on the door and say, we want to check out how many daughters you have and you know, we're going to take the good looking ones. Um, uh, no, no daughters here. They all died. They all died. Every one of them. I mean, that's what you would do as a dad. You're going to protect them from this. You're not putting them into that type of a, of a situation. But you know, they can't hide them forever and they're probably just wandering around town. They find somebody they like and they grab her and they put them into the, into the thing because this is not a thing that most women would really be, be looking for. So that's our setting. That's our first two chapters. We'll be picking up the rest of the chapters here as uh, the, the weeks get on. Father, we thank you that even though things happen in our life that are not part of your plan, you have shown us in your word that you can use whatever is thrown our way for the glory and the good of God. But just because a thing was used for the glory and the good of God does not mean that God had any purpose or desire for it to happen. Because the enemy sometimes uses that against us that God wanted you in this position no matter how much it hurts you just because He wanted this done. But that's not the God that we serve. Because our God can get anything done that He wants to. And He did not need Queen Esther to be in this position 
to preserve His people. For all through the time, he, oh God, you just showed us your strength over and over. Angels showing up and slaying people. Earth opening up. Fire coming down from heaven. Father, you protect your people by any means that you see necessary. And in this particular situation, you did use Queen Esther. But Father, we know that you could have found a much better way that would have held up to your word if only people would have let you. Father, the people that are around us that make mistakes, and there are times we've made mistakes and we put ourselves in positions that we really didn't need to be in. But Father, I thank you that we can always come back to you and say, Father, I, I missed it. I shouldn't be in this place and this place that I'm in is not because of you. It's because of me. But I thank you that you will help me and that you will turn the situation around and you will take what was meant for destruction and turn it into good. And we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.